0: Good evening. Welcome to Friday Night with Friends. Everyone, it's so wonderful to be back here yet again tonight on this Friday. A gorgeous day, a bit windy. So um, hold on to your hats if you're listening to us outside or you probably won't be able to hear us if it's the wind coming through your headphones. Yeah. Um, but we are happy to have everyone on tonight thank you for joining us and giving us your time we want to welcome our uh, first time listeners tonight if you're on welcome friday night with friends is just a casual chit chat with uh some of our friends literally uh and we get to hear a part of their story in life um we've gone uh several different topics different um Uh, guests on uh, over the past year and a half. And so tonight, you'll hear what our guest is going to be speaking about. We have uh, Chelsea Bales on with us tonight. And she is a licensed counselor. And I'm going to get to her bio in just a second here. But I want to welcome everybody to cut to learn more about our church, Newark United Pentecostal Church and what we do, what we're all about and our digital campus. Um, visit us on newarkupc.info. There's uh, information there on how to join small groups. We do them virtually. Uh, We do them twice a month. And if you'd like to join one, you can find out how to do that there. We also have information on how you can submit prayer requests and partner with us in giving. Among other information, also the things we're doing uh, in our kids hub uh, to keep our kids connected and learning about uh, the Lord and scripture and continuing to be together in this time over screens. So I will delay us no longer. Um, You can see uh, the lovely Chelsea on with us today, and I'm going to share with you um, what she has uh, uh, shared with us about herself, and then I'll hand it over to her. So, Chelsea Bales is a licensed professional counselor of mental health, certified advanced alcohol and drug counselor, and minister with the UPCI. She also currently serves as the care pastor with Word of Life Fellowship in Chadsford, Pennsylvania. She's currently starting a telehealth practice in the state of Delaware. Uh, in partnership with New Beginnings Therapeutic Services and accepting new clients ages 18 and older. Chelsea is married and her husband Jordan currently live in Wilmington, Delaware with their two pups. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to know what kind they are.
1: I have a corgi, a Pembroke corgi, and I have a, we just got a yellow lab two weeks ago. Ooh, ooh, wow, are they getting along? they are
0: getting there. They're getting there. Maybe we should. I wonder, I kind of wonder about the uh, therapy world and animals, but Mm -hmm. I didn't ask you on for that tonight. So I'm not going to blindside you with those questions, (laughs) but um, she enjoys working on home projects with her husband, spending time outdoors, hiking, spending days by the water and playing music with her church family. So, um, in the comments below, uh, Erica, our tech person, thank you for being on with us tonight. If you want to put in um, her uh, email here, she says feel free to contact her at Bales, her last name, at nbtherapeuticservices.com. And I know Erica is familiar with that. She used that email earlier this week uh, to contact you with. So uh, she says, feel free to contact her with any questions, consultations, or additional requests. So that is the um, professional side uh, and career side, mostly married life also of Chelsea. Um, But I know that our relationship with her as a church body, Newark United Pentecostal Church long before me um, uh, her parents uh, I believe met and married were married by the elder Beardsley's uh, James Beardsley because I remember when your sister got married uh, he elder Beardsley married her as well and I remember hearing that he had married your parents yeah. so long-standing relationship there there um, uh, her mom and dad, um, uh, were the first uh, daughter work from new york united pentecostal church and of course have been years now autonomous as the word of life fellowship um where you currently in your husband currently serve in ministry Mm -hmm. yes so long-standing relationship they are definitely more friday night with family uh Mm -hmm. but it's friday night with our family and friends and so it's lovely to have you on and um, hello to your mom and dad and your sister and her family as well um but we'd love to hear from you so go ahead and um greet us and uh then we'll go ahead with uh chelsea and i had talked about some questions earlier this a couple weeks ago actually um and she's going to be coming on specifically uh talking about her uh, career as a counselor, her experience in that, and what she's currently ventured into, which we're really excited about for her. So welcome, Chelsea.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you you for having me on your Friday night broadcast with friends. I know you guys do a lot of these different broadcasts, so it's exciting to even be invited. I'm honored and humbled, so thank you. Um, I should do a plug. In my bio, I had said I work with people 18 and older, but as of today, I'm now working 16 and older. So I am being pivoted a little bit. So I am starting to work with older adolescents as well. So excellent. Yeah. So before that leaves my mind, I wanted to make sure I gave that updated information. But yes, I am excited to be here, excited to share about my new endeavor. Um, And, you know, just to get to see what everything that Newark UPC has been up to. I see it come up on my Facebook or or, my husband's Facebook. I don't have Facebook, but Uh we're all and it's great to see everything you guys have been doing to get the mission out there and communicate in this new and unprecedented time.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the digital campus has been a learning curve for all of us, but uh, in the end, I think we're all kind of enjoying it. We're eager to get back in person services, but it has definitely been a blessing, I think, to many of us. So Thank you for that. Um, We are going to get to, uh, Chelsea uh, has started um, a practice here in Delaware. And before we get to that, because that's part of uh, why we wanted to have you on tonight was to give you a chance to talk about that. We did talk a little bit about how, um, you know, you're you're still so young. I don't actually know how old you are, but I know you're young.
2: I'm 28. Okay, there, I knew
0: And so, you know, uh, reading about um, your accomplishments and hearing, you know, what you're involved in and what you've done so far, uh, postgraduate post, you know, school and education, you've had your experience in counseling. And so tell us about this journey, you know, you're only 28. But uh, lots of experience in education behind you. So what led you into counseling?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think people are always surprised when I say that I'm 28, when they see, you know, the bio or the resume. But I went to undergrad at Eastern University, which is a small Christian liberal arts college outside Philadelphia. It's actually where my sister went as well. And I have an undergrad in psychology and a minor in Spanish. Um, so I think I always knew I wanted to be a counselor. So when I went in, I actually went in either deciding between music therapy and psychology, ended up going with psychology. Um, but for as long as I can remember, I've wanted to be someone that helps people. Now, whether that comes from uh, being a PK raised in the church and seeing my parents pour into other people for so long, Um, I've just always felt that that was my calling and that was the burden that God had given me very, very specifically. Um, I always joke that even as a kid, Eeyore was my favorite Disney character because he was so sad and I felt like somebody needed to sit with him and talk about how he could cope effectively. And I had this, I had this Eeyore stuffed animal. My parents always joke about it because I was bound and determined that Eeyore was not going to be depressed anymore. (laughs) He was going to be free in Christ. I was going to help him. But so I think I've just always... I believe God just gave me that burden and that calling from a very young age. Um, I've always been very aware of mental health and the struggles that people face within the world and then in the church. And I just kind of followed that path. So I did my undergrad at Eastern University and I did an internship in Europe working with a humanitarian effort with Women rescued out of human trafficking um, for a brief month in the summer. And then I came back and went to grad school at Wilm um, and have a master's in mental health counseling with a specialization in treating trauma um, in kids, but I've actually pivoted more towards adults at this point. So everything, I don't know. It just always kind of lined up, and you know, I think a lot of people go into college wondering what they're supposed to do. I went into college knowing what the plan was and mm-hmm. what I was going to do, and I set my sights on it, and I just went after it. Um, by the grace of God. You know, not that there hasn't been hurdles, there absolutely has, but um resilience is a big factor there and just keep on moving.
0: Oh yes. That's um uh I think a, a- You know, like you said, it's it's kind of a a gift to have have had an idea of what you wanted to do in pursuing education. And not only that, but you you stuck with it because sometimes you go in knowing and then it changes, you know, which is okay too. But yes, very clear. It sounds like from the get go for you and things fell into place. Um, So you had mentioned that your area of specialty is trauma. Also you're licensed uh, in the field of um, addictions and substance abuse. So how did that specialty, aside from the Eeyore inspiration, which is adorable, um, how did that specialty come about?
1: Um, So in grad school, they have you pick a different specialty. And at that point, I really felt like I wanted to work with kids. Um, and I was doing internships with kids and doing grief therapy and things of that nature. And then one of my internships didn't work out. I wasn't getting enough hours. So I ended up having to go to a rehab facility and I was driving easily an hour and 40 minutes one way. Let me tell you, if you're considering grad school, it is not for the faint of heart. Let me say that. Um, I don't think I slept for three years straight, but I was working and doing two internships and one of them was at a rehab facility and I fell in love with those who were struggling and fighting against addiction. I just fell in love with that population and I became very, very passionate about it. So really what my focus is, and there's a lot of terms, right, in the mental health industry, but is co-occurring. Basically, which means is that I am cross-trained in both co-occurring and in addictions counseling. So I look at how all of those things tied together so that we can overcome both. Because most of the time when you struggle with an addiction, you usually have some sort of mental health underlying component, whether that be trauma or something untreated or a medical or something of that nature. So I have both of those licenses and both of those credentials because I believe that if we're going to head towards freedom, let's not conquer it all. You know, let's deal with everything and get to the other side. So that tends to be my approach there.
0: Oh, right. That's very interesting. We've had, um, I know when we talked over the phone, I told you we've had a handful of counselors on. In fact, our very first um, Friday night with friends was with Dr. Cindy Miller. Oh. And, um, so that was right, you know, fresh when COVID was there was still so there's still so much unknown, but that's when things were really unknown. And she was on. But um since then, and over the past year, little over a year now, we've had our digital campus. we've had, a handful of counselors. And it's just, I think, uh, really amazing um, and very uh, eye-opening to hear how many different, um, you know, focuses or special specializations people can have in that field. It's so diverse. Mm -hmm. Um, I know counseling is just a huge, 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 huge topic world. Um, But it's really interesting to hear uh, the different specializations people have. And so methods, I guess that is. So mm-hmm. really need to hear that. Um, so that as far as that goes, that was an unexpected um, area for you to kind of become uh, licensed and passionate about mm-hmm. uh, correct because that was kind of yeah, so that's that's always neat to, to, to experience being tapped into in some so a place you weren't really aware of, you know, and it's like, yeah. wow, I never knew this about myself.
1: The opportunity presented itself, and I'm a firm believer that you walk through the door and you learn what you learn. So mm-hmm. I've taken every opportunity, and I think all the different populations I've worked with, both in the church and outside, has given me a very vast and diverse experience to then be able to do what I'm doing now. Um, because there there isn't much that walks through the door that I haven't worked with or seen or you know helped a client start to process through.
0: Now I guess because I've already mentioned uh you know covid and in the year that we've all been in um and just wondering you know especially with something like substance abuse um and addictions in such a I mean if, if you didn't have anxiety before covid's going to you know un- untap that yeah and um tap into that i mean and so i was just wondering if you if you can speak to if there was any the impact that covid had on especially that population and for you as a counselor just from your perspective you know what what's it been like being a counselor in in this past year
1: you know, Meg, I would say it's been challenging. You know, i I to be a counselor in this past year has has been no easy feat in any way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I laugh because I don't think there's any other word. You know, there's no other re- word to really describe it. Um, but in the same in the same breath, I also want to say it's been an honor at the same time. I have definitely been more stretched, more humbled, uh, more challenged than I've ever been working in this past year. But on the same token, I also believe I've grown as a clinician, as a minister and as a practitioner more than I ever would have without this situation. So I mean, this this past year has affected everyone tremendously in a variety of ways, right? It's hard for me to specifically say everyone has responded in these categorical ways, because it's been such an individualized experience. For those who went into it already with anxiety, this may have set it free. But then on the same token, there's a lot of people who conquered their anxiety prior to this. And this last year was a testament to what true freedom and the miraculous power of Christ can do because it wasn't overwhelming for them. And they walked through it with strength and dignity, you know. But then there was other people that this was really a challenge and they had to lean into their support systems and learn to cope in different ways. So I think, you know, the underlying theme through all of this would, from my perspective, has been growth. And maybe not always linear growth, but growth and learning to rise to challenges, learning to be adaptable, learning to get flexible. Which, trust me, I hate the word flexible. I hate it. I like things organized. I literally brought my planner so that I would be ready to go, right? Um, That's great, yeah. But as a counselor, I've had to learn to be flexible. You know, I've had to learn how to operate and uh, offer services in this capacity. I've never done this before, right? um but it's also given us new methods of connection. It's showed us that you know really the only thing we can depend on is Christ because that which will be shaken will be shaken, right and learning to find that strength in unexpected ways.
0: I think that's you know real congruent with what we've heard you know um, over the past year with just uh, responses from other uh you know, counselors in the field that we've had on—it's kind of a mixed bag. But certainly, uh, everybody's—you know—people are coming in with, um, you know, walking through new territory or territory that you know has re- you know resurgence of it. And then you've got the counselors who are walking through this new territory as well. And we kind of all just do it together. You know, we just have to fumble through it together. And like you said, by the grace of God.
1: we're all figuring it out right yeah yeah and I think anything it has it's been a unifying experience right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the client because we're both navigating unprecedented times and that can be something that bonds us and builds that rapport as we work together towards health
0: yes yes that's a that's an interesting perspective as well um also wondering then uh because you know I just. Uh, on this um, you being so young as you are and have achieved so much already um, educationally um, do you have further goals in this field or maybe something else I mean we can we can venture out a little bit from the counseling because I know there's other uh, uh, thing you know interests that you have and um, things you enjoy so do you have further goals um, in counseling or uh, some other goals that you'd like to share with us?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly do. I think, you know, maybe two years ago, I was accepted to a Ph.D. program, but it wasn't the right time. Um, that's when my husband came into my life. So I I felt that God, God was giving me an opportunity. So um, not that that's completely off the table. It's just not something I felt led back to at this point.
2: Mm hmm.
1: I think, you know, I would certainly love to teach. That's something that I've always wanted to do is to teach at the bachelor's level or the master's level. So if that opportunity presented itself, I would certainly walk through that door. That's definitely a goal. Um, But I think my biggest goal right now is more focused on the individual. You know, for a long time I've been very focused on the next thing, right? You know, I've done a lot in 28 years and you do that a lot by moving and by not slowing down. And to be honest, Meg, my goal right now is to slow down.
0: Oh, I like that
1: goal. So I am working on being more present. I'm working on, I believe God has given me this opportunity to start helping um, and being a resource in the church. And that is something that I'm working at as well as being able to offer seminars and um, different opportunities via Zoom for leadership teams and things of that nature, um, because everyone's going to come out of this a little bit different, but the more resources I'm for the better. So I think my goals would be more um, walking through whatever door God opens, but also enjoying the present and being still and finding gratitude in the midst of the change.
0: And just as some goals are reached by the movement, you know, pressing, 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 some goals are reached in the slowing down. So, you know, that's great. I think um, it sounds like just like you came prepared, organized with your notebook. You've got some organized plans there uh, for your future. And uh, we do wish you, you know, the best in that and um, hope you're enjoying the married life and uh, yep. just settling down. So, part of settling. I'm making my own bridge here. Connecting is um, I want to give you time to talk about this new venture uh, Mm -hmm. that um, I saw and shared on my Facebook page this week. I did. Your mom had your mom, your mom had shared it. And I think your sister, too. And it is Chelsea has um, partnered with a practice uh, in Pennsylvania, counseling practice in Pennsylvania. Um, And she has become their first Delaware branch. And currently it's uh, telehealth. It's uh, through uh, digitally uh, specifically right now. Um, But We wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about that because Chelsea would be able to see uh, clients in the state of Delaware and represent, um, I believe it's called New Beginnings. Mm -hmm. Is that Mm -hmm. correct? Uh, Go ahead and and share, share with us about this new venture. And, you know, it's very, very exciting. So go ahead.
1: Thank you. So it is ironic that it's called New Beginnings because it's a new beginning for me too. Uh, Yeah. Um, so yes, I have partnered with uh, New Beginnings. So the colleague that started this practice started it a few years ago, and her and I worked together at a different location a couple of years back. And we've just stayed in touch, and we had bonded during that time over both being Christians.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so she had reached out to me. I don't know, probably months ago, and I just wasn't ready. Um, I wasn't, but I've. For many, many years since I've gotten this master's degree, I get I get calls. Hey, are you taking clients? Are you taking clients? And the answer's always been like, I wish I could, but not not the time, not the place. I just didn't feel like that was I was ready for it yet. Um, but this this time, she called, and I had somebody reach out, and I felt God saying, Now's the time to walk through this door. So I prayed about it. I talked to my husband about it because um, it doesn't seem like the time to be an entrepreneur. Let's be honest, but Sometimes God has us walk through the unexpected door at the unexpected time, which proves to be the right moment. Mm-hmm. And he knows all. And he knows all, right? Even if it goes against my my calendar, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a telehealth practice. So what that means is very similar to how Meg and I are chatting right now. I meet with clients and it's through an online platform called Simple Practice. Um, I schedule everything myself. I accept insurance. So, you know, I often get on, people would always ask for an apostolic counselor that accepts insurance. Well, here you go, folks. I'm an apostolic counselor and I accept insurance. OK, so what that means is that I'm currently credentialed with Blue Cross Blue Shield and Highmark.
2: Wow.
1: And, and, OK, so basically what that looks like is that I'm a clinician or a practitioner. If you call the back of your insurance card where it asked for that number, I would be listed there now. So I'm working on a couple of their insurances. I also offer cash pay and sliding scale for those who don't have insurance because we don't want that to be a barrier, okay? Um, But I offer those services. So that's individual counseling, that's couples counseling and marriage counseling. Um, It really depends. You know, I offer consultations as well. Sometimes people, you know, want to call about something's going on. Um, So it really just depends. It's a very individualized type of service that I can offer. So I'm currently taking clients, which is exciting. And yeah. I'm, the spots of people are already calling, I've already started. Um, and it's, it's, it's just very, very exciting that this opportunity has presented itself. So um, I'm glad that God gave me the push and I'm glad that um, my husband has been so supportive and my family has been a tremendous support during this time. But now I get to take that and pour it back into the Delaware community because we are a small state but there's a lot of us. I mean, you know,
0: yes. small you know, states. Hey, we need we need all the services, too. <laughs>
1: right. you know, the small states get overlooked, right? Yeah, my, the church that I serve with is in PA, um, but I have been working in Delaware. I went to grad school in Delaware. So it's just made sense for me to get licensed in Delaware. With that in mind, I am in process of getting my license in PA as well. So oh, great. In June or July, I'll be able to also serve those in Pennsylvania. Um, but for right now, it's, it's a Delaware practice. So that's what that looks like.
0: Wonderful. So yes, any um, questions can be uh, submitted to the, um, if Erica was able to put her uh, email address in there and um, just questions or, you know, tapping into this brand new branch in Delaware, you may contact Chelsea via that link. And so um, we have run almost up to seven thirty here. It's seven twenty-seven on my clock. And so, Erica, let us know how uh, if you have some questions rolling in yet, or if I can we can chit chat a bit longer. What's it looking like? Okay, we're going to. Um, I had a question uh, when you were talking about as the questions start coming in. Sometimes it takes just a minute. Um, I had a question about um, your practice, and uh, are you serving families, or can it only be the sixteen and above? How does that work?
1: So it depends on the situation. I don't. I'm not offering individualized child therapy at this time. Okay. Or- we're just not set up for it um, and have I done I've done it in the past but at this point in my in my journey that's just not something that I'm offering now if I have a family coming to work with me and the parents are involved or whatever that may look like um, I can definitely navigate those situations I am a certified prepared and rich facilitator so what that means is that you know I can offer premarital counseling uh, Marital counseling as families are maybe looking at adopting or fostering. There's also a program I can help with that. Oh, wow So there's options for that um, But it, it just kind of depends on the situation What I will say is I don't get involved in child custody cases mm-hmm. That's I usually get I get that question. I get that call and that that is something that I will turn down I don't get involved in those.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's good to good to know that. I was just thinking about family and kind of if, if there's a, a unit that uh, would want services, but were under the age of um, sixteen. It's a parent.
2: So, That's um, fine.
0: Yes. Okay. Um, I also want to go. Erica said there's a couple rolling in, but um, I just wanted to ask you about. Um, I have I, I have a friend who. Uh, got a degree in music therapy and you had mentioned that that was maybe one route you would go and then you, you went this other route. What about music therapy? Because I know you're a musician and a singer. Yeah, and I know your husband as well. Yeah, he's phenomenal.
2: And, yeah, he's great. Yeah.
0: And um, and so I just thought, well, I wonder uh, kind of about the music therapy draw. Was it just because of your musical inclination or you knew about it? Or tell me more about music therapy.
1: So I think originally I had thought that would be, I love music. I'm a classically trained pianist. Um, my parents had me in lessons with uh, Darlene. I don't know if someone from the, a couple of people from the New York church probably know Darlene from age five. Um, but I, so I grew up playing and then I played flute and piccolo and I just play a lot of instruments. So part of it was just, I believe in the power of music. I believe in the power that it has to communicate when words fail, um, which is ironic because as a therapist, you would think I'm all about the words, but there are some things that sometimes we don't have the words for that music can be that fostering of the connection also, especially for children with trauma, autism, you know, things of that nature, sometimes the words aren't enough and you need something else to connect. So I always believed in the power of music as this thing, not to use a pun, but instrumental, right, in the power <laughs> connection. But with that being said, from a very practical standpoint, it's hard to get a job. Um, that in specifically when I was graduating and looking around a couple of My friends who had done music therapy, they were really struggling where the economy was at that point um, because it's a very individualized, specialized program. Mm -hmm. Insurance doesn't pay for it in a lot of states, and it can be very challenging to get into a hospital to do that. Mm. Uh, So just in a very practical answer to your question, as much as I loved it, I I wanted to be able to pay the bills, um, and that realistically would have been challenging.
0: Yes. Well, now that I think about it, my friend who has an education in that um, she is not working in that field, and so I think you're right that it's a challenging field to find. It's very uh, narrow, you know, and it's. um, I mean, as far as job opportunities, and uh, yeah, so yes, yes. Oh, we must have questions. Sorry.
2: I mean to just pop on like that. Oh. Okay, so we have a couple. Um, let's see. Okay, here's one. What is the piece of advice you give them mo- the most often? Hmm. The piece of
1: advice I give the most often. Hmm. That's hard because I feel like it's so. It depends on the situation. Um. Most recently, it has been. Advising the people I'm not just people I'm working with, but everyone to breathe. Um, Over this past year, over everything that's happened, there's been a lot of trauma, vicarious trauma, there's been a lot of stress, anxiety, but also there's been an intense sense of urgency. And I think for so many of us, we've just been running at this heightened, accelerated pace in panic. Out of survival and out of you know the human mechanism to feel like we need to do so, but for a lot of us we've forgotten. Like I said, even myself, to breathe and to be still and to meditate in the given moment that we're in. So I think most recently that's been a very common theme of what I've been you know telling a lot of people I come into contact with. Breathe, take a breath, meditate. That urgency is internal. It's not coming from anything external. And just because the world is operating at this accelerated pace doesn't mean I need to and doesn't mean you need to. We can breathe and we can wait on God to move versus trying to force things or sticking with the pace that the world is demanding.
0: Sounds good to me.
2: (laughs) We have this
1: one.
2: Uh, What advice would you give family members who live with someone who has mental illness?
1: So I think that's a loaded question, is it, Mariana? Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. Hi, Mariana. Um, One, I think that depends on the mental illness. You know, it's hard for me to speak to that in without knowing more about a situation. What I can say is that um, compassion goes a long way, and understanding that mental illness is that. It's an illness, and often, you know, just like there is in other sicknesses, we're not always aware of the full scope of what someone's struggling with. You know, we're not aware of the full scope of what's going on inside somebody's head. So compassion and grace goes a long way, but also self-care goes a long way too. I can't do what I do if I'm not filling my own bucket, right? I tell everybody all the time, and I ask this question. This is something else I ask all the time. How full is your bucket, right? Right? Are you pouring from an empty bucket? Is something draining you? Is something alleviating? Is something taking things from you? And if that's happening, because life does that and stress does that and the world does that and day to day laundry does, unfills my bucket, let me tell you, I hate laundry, right? But um, I have to be, there has to be things that are pouring back into my bucket. Am I engaging in prayer and studying? Am I meditating? Am I getting time outside? Am I spending time with people who fill my bucket? So one of the biggest things I would say, especially for a family, because mental illness is a family disease, is are we all taking individual time to fill our bucket? Are we all taking time to pray? Are we all taking time to study? Are we all taking time to go for a walk? Are we all doing those things that pour into us so that we can be recharged to face whatever the struggle might be as a supportive unit versus one that's constantly emptying each other's buckets?
0: So Erica, means- can I ask a question uh, before we go to the next one? Yep, go ahead. One thing I was thinking about, Chelsea, because um, I actually don't think I have thought about this question until now. And maybe it's because we've had several counselors on now and people in that field. And uh, I I went to school for um, criminal justice okay. and always remembered um, thinking to myself, you know, Law enforcement public service jobs, people who work in those are often they're they're the they're the people everybody in a community turns to for help. Mm-hmm. And I always remember thinking to myself, you know, what's in place for the people at the top? You know, a lion is the top of a food chain. Who does lion turn to? So as in this field. And you were just talking about self-care and you know the concept of filling your own bucket Um, what can you speak to from uh your professional standpoint where the community you know you're serving the community and the community knows to turn to you as that next level of support and help where do counselors turn uh or or in your experience what has what have you found helpful to kind of um be your outlet as the professional and in your bio, um, we know that you're a licensed minister of the United Pentecostal Church as well. Again, it's a it's a position that people turn to, uh, people look to, and you provide care for people. You're the care pastor, in fact. Um, and so, it's important to uh, you know for us to hear all all people in all places, wherever God places us. We all need that that support and structure you know, for ourselves as well. Nobody can, I mean, God helps us all, but nobody can say, oh, I, I'm not in need of, you know, care for myself. So can you speak to that a little bit? I absolutely can.
1: Um, I think, you know, the answer to that question, Meg, is humility, that nobody is outside the realm of needing help. Mm-hmm. And the helpers. The helpers often need the most help, guys. <laughs> so don't don't be con- uh, convinced that they don't, right? Mm, amen. <laughs> because when you are pouring into other people all the time, sometimes you forget to have people pour into you. Or you get so used to pouring in, into everybody else, it starts to feel selfish to accept help. And because mm. we have, how do I accept help because everybody needs it, right? And it can be very hard to say no. It can be very hard to say I can't handle that. It can be very hard to, you know, maintain that distance. You know, so the things that I have found, if you are in that position where people are, you're helping and serving a lot of people and you're getting drained, right? Because we all get drained. We're all humans here, right? We have limits and we have a capacity to what we can do. I would say the most powerful tool in your arsenal are your boundaries. And for a lot of us, sometimes they're a little bit too fluid. Um, and we have to be strong in our boundaries. We have to be resilient in our boundaries. And we have to know what we can and can't handle, but also what we want to handle and what we don't want to handle. You know, there are some situations that I could get involved in, but I don't because I know that that's going to tip me over, right? That's going to be the one thing, straw that broke the camel's back or whatever that might be. So in order to continue pouring into other people, sometimes my no has to be No. And maybe that's going somewhere. Maybe that's traveling. Maybe that's a particular speaking engagement. Maybe, you know, not every opportunity is the right opportunity for right now because I have to serve the people I'm serving now well. And if something's going to drain me beyond my capacity to do that, I'd rather do a couple things well than a lot of things mediocre. So boundaries is a big factor. Um, you know what? A lot of counselors talk to counselors. Called peer supervision because it's helpful to have somebody in your corner who's another voice another voice of rationale saying hey are you burned out hey do you need a vacation hey do you need to turn off the phone this weekend and not take any calls Um, you know kind of going back to boundaries but a lot of counselors talk to other counselors Um, having a place of confidence someone that you can turn to also things that are very practical I'm a firm believer in taking care of your body, right? A firm believer in that we are a steward of the body we are given. And if we run it ragged, we're going to run it ragged. So we have to be conscientious of what we put into it. Are we taking care? Are we doing a nourishing, but nourishing ourselves with nourishing foods? Are we sleeping? You know, that's one thing yeah. that's an actor that goes out the window. But operating on very little sleep is very similar to someone who's intoxicated. And sometimes people don't realize that, but someone who drives on no sleep has just as likely statistically to get in an accident as a drunk driver would and Mm. to give the same results, right? Because Mm -hmm. we need sleep. (laughs) We need it to recover.
0: Oh, I know. I I know. I know that. That's something I know.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah,
0: you're right.
1: (laughs) And it's one of those things that we oftentimes would be like, "Uh, I just won't sleep as much. No, no there there's certain things that we have to put boundaries in place to make sure that we are maintaining. Um, but also, I think the biggest thing is knowing the limits to burnout. And that's, I think the biggest barrier is especially for some of us as helpers, we tend to forget that we burn out too. Um, because we want to help everybody all the time. That's really why most of us gotten to this is because we want to help. We want to serve, we feel called to it, We feel passionate. Um, about helping others recover, but sometimes we can do that to the point of where we forget that we're, we, we have limitations. Um, and that would be where the recognizing and the humility piece comes in and taking a break, learning to take a break. When I tell all of my clients, I have a mantra, I make them recite, and that is rest is a requirement, not a reward, because resting is not quitting. That's so, a good one so often, for most of us, we make ourselves earn our rest. It's a requirement, not a reward. I don't have to earn rest. I need it in order to keep going.
0: Mm-hmm. So, something to think about there. Yeah, I love that. Really, I always tell people Jesus and boundaries are the best thing that ever happened to me.
1: <laughs> B- boundaries are key. They are key. <laughs> I, I fill entire seminars on boundaries, literally. Yes
0: very good wise words there thank you so so many good things in there to um think about but also think about if we're applying them you know Mm -hmm. in our lives because knowledge is one thing but you got to follow through with application to see any type of result um so thank you for that all right erica let's pick up with that anything what's next do you ever
1: pray with your clients so, Ruth, it depends on the situation. Um, I have not always worked in a Christian capacity. So there have been situations where I worked in a very secular environment and a lot of my clients weren't Christian. So I would give them advice or give them feedback out of my Christian morality or my Christian value system because the principles work whether you're Christian or not. Mm-hmm. Um because that is a firm part of my value system as a counselor is that I operate on a christian belief system. So I would say yes, there have been clients that I pray with, of course. Have I prayed with every client? No, cuz I'm not at liberty to. Having worked in, you know, mental health hospitals and things of that nature, but if the opportunity presents itself and a client does want to pray, of course I would be glad to do that because spirituality is proven to be a huge factor in recovery. So You know, the science even backs up that spirituality, when incorporated into recovery, the recidivism rate or that's a fancy term for people falling back into their old ways is a lot lower.
0: Wow, that's really interesting to hear. Mm -hmm. I mean, it makes sense, but.
1: Have you considered getting licensed in Maryland? In Maryland. This was brought up to me a couple of days ago, actually. Um, I'm not sure. So for every the way that the way that the law currently works is that you have your license in an individual state. Um, so although my degree works in every state, the way that the law is written, you have to go through an individualized process and then if you want to be licensed in multiple states, you apply for what's called reciprocity, which is what I'm doing with Pennsylvania. Now Maryland has a whole set of laws all their own. So there is a movement now where they're working to States to band together and to allow counselors to work in like a, you know, a group of states, which would be wonderful because we all know in this area we live. I mean, I can be to PA in three minutes, Jersey in five, and you know, Maryland in ten. So it would make logical sense that they, you know, extend our licenses. And for a while during the pandemic, they did uh, during an emergency order. So I actually was able to treat people outside of the state, but that has been rescinded in the past couple of months. So it's not off the table. Um, Is it my immediate goal? I'm working on PA first. Um, And then from there, I'll kind of cross that bridge. But I think one state at a time. Now, what I can say is once I open a physical location, if clients are willing to come to me, it won't matter what state they live in. Telehealth Mm -hmm. has these, these physical restrictions. So once I have a physical office and once that's up and running, which is in the future, clients can drive to me from other states as long as they're meeting with me in my state.
0: Okay, that's good to know.
2: Okay. How can the church uh, individual members and as an institution destigmatize the need for mental health?
1: Mm, that's a big one, right? Um, I would say the first way is by people being brave enough to be counselors. Um, you know, there aren't many doing what I do, um, you know, as a woman, as a licensed minister and as a counselor, I'm kind of a rarity, right? Um, there's a few Cindy Miller has kind of been the trailblazer who I respect greatly and she has done tremendous work, but I would say the first piece is recognizing that this is a need within the church, right? For a lot of generations prior, this wasn't talked about. It was kind of this thing that people dealt with in the quiet or people dealt with in their homes, but it wasn't brought to light. So for a long time, people struggled in the quiet. So it does, it is going to take brave individuals saying this needs to be talked about and I'm going to get the education to do it because it is a lot of education. I was in school for a long time, guys, Um, but it was worth it. Absolutely. Hands down worth it. I did a course with Urshan as well. So I've been, I've done quite a few different things to really round my education altogether. But I would say one, people moving in that direction, whether it's a counselor, whether it's a social worker, um, there's nurses who are mental health trained. There's a lot of different ways to approach this, right? But then also leadership, getting trained in these things and recognizing when a counselor needs to be brought in is a big factor, right? Like. Going back to boundaries, there's a lot of times that you know I've had ministers reach out to me and say, "Kelsey, I know my limits. I'm not trained for this. I need help." And that is honestly the biggest step that I see that leads mm-hmm. to and freedom, um, because I'm not I'm I'm a complete and utter advocate for prayer. Prayer works. I'm a complete and utter advocate for you know going to your pastor and for seeking the leadership and working with your family. But as a professional, sometimes a professional helps facilitate some of those things. Though so not that my job takes away from it, I'm just an added tool in the toolkit. And I think sometimes people get scared of the counseling type of, you know, what are they what are they going to say? What are they going to do? But if you see it more from that capacity, then I'm just an extra tool that adds to the support system and adds to the team, it really opens up that conversation.
2: Yes. Yes. Very good. Do you have people that you looked up to and or people who encourage you the most through your life and profession?
1: Hmm. Absolutely. Um, now, professionally, I, I didn't know counselors. Um, I did connect with Dr. Miller later on in life, but not when I was first getting into this. I would say the people that I looked up to the most were my parents. Um, you know, I like Meg shared, we were a church plant, we were small, we were a daughter work, and we were a close family. I have an older sister, Corey, who some of you may know. She's awesome. Um, but I have a tremendous, tremendous support system. But for a long time, it was just the four of us against the world. Well, us and God, right? And God got us through a lot of things. But in the face of starting a church in this area is no easy feat. Um, it's challenging. It breaks you. It humbles you. um, It hurts. There's a lot of challenges that come with it. But in the face of all that, there's tremendous opportunity as well. Right. I think so. You know, there's a balance, right? God (laughs) yields the fruit, but there's also a lot of challenge that comes with leadership and planting something new in an area that isn't that open to this. Um, and watching you know, what my parents went through, through years of Bible studies and through years of planning a church and through years of pouring into people and seeing healings take place, but also seeing the hurt that occurred at the same time, I saw a tremendous strength and I realized that there needed to be more people doing that. And maybe my ministry wouldn't look exactly like theirs, but I could see that I could birth a ministry out of that. So, you know, both my parents worked full time while starting a church. Um, they sacrificed tremendously. You know, my dad used to travel for day, you know, days and come back and do Bible study and all of these things. Um, you know, and they did it a lot, large part on their own. And I always tremendously admired that because it wasn't easy. But to see, you know, two people be so unwavering in the face of so much pain. Um it just seemed like there was no other option for me but to go out and try and help others heal from the pain too.
0: I love your parents. I love your sister too. I think I know you the least, but I love them. So <laughs> I'm the youngest, so most
1: of the time people don't know me as well.
0: Yeah, I know, because our paths didn't cross as much, but um, yeah, your yeah. mom your mom was a sweetheart. Probably because I
1: was in school, my path didn't cross with anybody because I was in school for some <laughs> So people are always like, "Oh, Chelsea's back." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm back." <laughs> all
2: right, you're all wonderful. Um, we've uh, since divorce can be traumatic for teens. Why are you so definite about not working with custody cases?
1: So divorce is tremendous, uh, tremendously traumatic for teens. I do have to agree with you there. In uh, working in custody cases, most of that is about my knowing my limitations. It's not something I've specialized in. It's not something I've done a great deal of training in. And as a counselor, one of our biggest attributes is knowing where we're not the right fit. And I'm not the right fit in that area. There are uh, tremendous counselors who are incredibly qualified, who had done tremendous amounts of training, tremendous amounts of um, study and research into this, and who are absolutely a better fit in that scenario than I might be. So I think, you know, sometimes when someone's a counselor, they bite off more than they can chew. And my oath has been to do no harm and to always do right by every single client. And sometimes the right thing to do is to refer them to someone who's more qualified than me. So that would be my perspective on that. Not that I can't help, but that there's a better fit and I'm humble enough to admit that.
2: Do you feel
1: Winnie the Pooh and Piglet have failed ER as a friend? Absolutely not. He had a great support system. I just, yeah. as a kid, he seemed sad and I couldn't understand why. But, and it was just, so even as a kid, I always felt that everybody wanted a friend, you know, and everybody needed somebody who picked them up when they got sad. So I used to carry Eeyore around and pick him up and take him places. But <laughs> everybody needs a friend, right? That's right. Even my stuffed Eeyore. <laughs> How do you think our criminal justice
2: system and our mental health system could be working together better?
1: So I think that that's a tough question because it depends on the state, right? A lot of our criminal justice system and mental health systems that are set up at this point are state-based. The federal government has some involvement, but a lot of that is really your local communities. Now in Delaware, they somewhat work together, but we don't have a ton of resources in our state specifically for mental health, right? Um, for recovery, especially, um, for those who struggle with addiction, because we're a smaller state, there hasn't been a lot invested in our state. There hasn't been a lot of programs. There hasn't been a lot of places coming and opening. Now, recently in the past six months, there has. And if you keep looking around, I guarantee you, you will see more because I know of places that are coming and are coming to open. Um, So you're going to start seeing some bigger programs that are coming down the pike, which is great because we need those resources. So I think a big factor has been because we are a smaller state, that that has not been invested in the same way. But you tend to have different trainings from a criminal justice perspective and a mental health perspective. Now, Meg, I don't want to speak for someone from a criminal justice perspective, but in my training and those I worked with in criminal justice system, we were trained in two different ways and with two different modalities and two different approaches. So I think sometimes it's more just from a perspective approach that those two things clash. And I would say it goes back to the education system, teaching those two communities to come from a unified approach versus seeing each other in a villainized way. So I think it should be maybe addressed earlier on versus waiting until we get people into a system and they're already operating on something they've been told. Let's address it at the bachelor's level when people are preparing to work in the field in the first place.
0: And one thing, I'm not going to, you know, uh, chime in too much. But one thing, um, Chelsea, I was a believer in through my education, which is kind of a long time ago now. uh, But was restorative justice, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. But it did. um, It's it's not very popular, and it's not been implemented. Um, you know nationwide on a very major scale but it did take into consideration uh, bringing in a moderator you know to 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 um, uh, instigate healing and reconciliation and things like that between offender and uh, uh, the person they've you know, Uh, performed a crime on. And so, you know, there's uh, things out there that kind of marry the two, but you're right. It's not, that's not the popular uh, approach to the criminal justice system, but it's the one I believed in.
1: (laughs) I've been trained in that as well. I'm a big fan of that. I believe it teaches forgiveness and redemption is a huge part of this, but that is not not the primary one. It not,
0: it's not mainstream, correct? It's not at
1: all. Some, a lot of times you have that conversation, and people don't even know what it is, right? Oh, no, right, so right. It, that to me that goes back to the education piece. We should yes. be teaching that in both mental health, you know, psychology programs, and criminal justice. Let's start, you know, educating on restorative justice right from the get go, so we're entering in with the grace and mercy mentality versus a judgment mentality. This is the last one.
2: Uh, How do you handle a situation when the client is in denial of their mental illness?
1: So this is more common. Well, it's actually very common, right? Because for a lot of us, we don't we know something is wrong, but we don't entirely know what. So the biggest thing usually with this type of situation is I meet somebody where they're at. You know, a lot of times people come to counseling because they want to be validated. They want to be heard. They want to be seen. But I think sometimes people come in with this expectation that I'm going to sit here and give them all the answers. It's not my job. It's not my job. Right? Um, If people are coming to counseling with that expectation, they're going to be disappointed because my job is to help facilitate someone else to arrive at the answers through their own discovery, through their own digging, through their own internal and external work. I'm the facilitator. I'm the partner. I walk alongside. I'm not the pilot. So often, you know, in someone not totally knowing they have something going on, they came to counseling for a reason. So they know something is going on, but maybe they're not aware to the full extent of what it is. I meet them where they're at. I ask challenging questions and we learn how there's, they can come to that understanding on terms that are acceptable to them. One of the biggest things, you know, that I see that works, and I've been doing this a little while now. I can tell somebody something and it goes in one ear and out the other, but if they learn it and discover it themselves, and I am there to witness that and remind them of what they did, that's something that inspires change. That's something that someone will hold on to because people tell us stuff all the time and we all listen. So, most of the time, people will buy into something and will change when they actually did the work to find it, when they actually dug deep, when they studied God's word, when they started really asking tough questions, when they started facing their fear head on, feeling the fear and doing it anyway. That's when the change starts to happen. So denial can be incredibly hard, you know, especially for a family. I think about this a lot with addiction, right? Denial is a huge part of addiction. So if a family, you know, that's a lot of why families call me. They just won't admit they're addicted. They just won't admit they have a problem with alcohol. They just won't admit they have a problem with drugs. They just won't admit they have a problem with gambling or porn or whatever it might be. And they want me to go in and tell the person Mm. that doesn't work. (laughs) The person just tells me to get out. But what I can do is figure out what, how that is affecting the person's life and how we can equip them to cope better and how we can equip them to grow. And if they come to that realization themselves, they'll want to change. So, it's about that ownership piece. So, I think in those situations, it's being supportive, it's being challenging, but it's also reminding and remembering my own boundaries that I can't make someone recognize something they don't want to recognize, but I can support them when they do.
0: I think that's a really uh, wonderful note to end on because, um, you know, that's true across a lot of uh, uh, things in life, you know, you can't make anyone, you know, but you can support them uh, along their their uh, journey, and whatever that is. And so, we're right at the eight o'clock time. So look at that. You're a prompt person. We ended promptly at eight. This is wonderful. Um, but we really appreciate you coming on and sharing with us. Uh, all about your counseling journey and also the new exciting venture of uh, the branch in uh, Delaware, because for our New York UPC listeners or anyone local, um, this is something that you can actually benefit from or tap into, which uh, our other counselors we've had on, that's not been the case. Um, so that's really exciting. And uh, we'll be supporting you uh, with our prayers and just uh, wish you the best in that venture. Um, and so with that, I want to Uh, remind our listeners that we are on six nights a week at 7 p.m. We broadcast um, Tuesdays through Sundays. And so we'll be right back here, uh, same place, same time tomorrow night at 7 p.m. for our Saturday night message. So we'll see you all then. And thanks again, Chelsea, and everybody have a great night. Thank you so much.